Howdy, everybody, and welcome to another BP Movie Journal, the show we do where we talk about the stuff we've seen since the last time we did one of these. I'm David. I'm Tyler. And uh, we're on a time crunch tonight. Uh, and luckily, I've been too busy to watch too many movies as of you. So oh, yes. this is going to be a real quick movie journal. Get in, get out. But I am going to start with uh, a brand new documentary that just came out a few days ago. Um, Lance Oppenheim's Some Kind of Heaven. Okay. Uh, it's terrific. Uh, it, it's, uh, it, it takes place. The documentary is about a very large retirement community in Florida called the villages. It's okay. in central Florida. It's halfway between Orlando and Gainesville. So it's nowhere, but it's this huge, uh, uh, there are thousands and thousands of people who, who have homes in this retirement, uh, community. Uh, the documentary focuses on, on on four of them in particular one a married couple who uh are undergoing some marital difficulties in their uh, as they approach their 47th inter- uh, wedding anniversary mm-hmm. so you're never out of the woods it turns out with marriage yeah oh uh, i know um, uh and then there's a woman who moved to the villages with her husband then he uh, they lived there for years then he died and now it's been like four months or something, six months. And so she's sort of getting back out into the uh, very active dating scene in this mm. retirement community. Uh, and then the fourth person that the, the document focuses on is a guy who is not actually a resident of the villages. In fact, he lives out of his van, but he uh, uh, is an 81 year old, uh, uh, just a hound dog whose stated goal is to hang out at the villages long enough to uh, charm uh, uh, an older woman into letting him move in with her. <laughs> what is this? A, is this a Simpsons character? Because it really <laughs> does feel like that. I feel like uh, it. Uh, it's a it's a grandpa heavy episode. The the best one of the best. There's so many great parts in this movie. One of the best scenes. Uh, I, I I don't know. It feels weird to say scenes when it's a documentary, but I guess mm-hmm. it's a scene. One of the best scenes is this guy I mentioned, 81 years old, still you know, uh, uh, scrounging around for uh, for for ladies. And the scene when he calls his mom on the phone is. <laughs> <laughs> the most charming uh but also kind of sad the movie's very sad i should say i'm it, sure it is yeah it has a great deal of, there's a great sense of humor to it and also all right i went in a little bit skeptical because i feel like as much as you and i and and a lot of i think um film fans of our ilk have complained about the sort of uh TV news magazine talking head style of documentary sure. being being played out. I've gotten to a point where I feel like the art documentary, quote unquote, has sure. also become a little bit of a of a of a, of a of a model. There's like a paradigm for it, and so this movie is very like it's in one three three to one. Okay, it's lots of very uh, uh, symmetrical um, uh, shots. You know, there's a, a whimsy, a sense of humor to it. Um, I, again, I do think it's very good, but it's something I'm keeping my eye on. Like there are certain, <laughs> yeah, there are certain that like, 
this or there was like the hottest August uh, a couple years ago. It was another one that I liked, but seems to have, uh, I don't know. But then there were guys, there was the truffle hunters that I talked about in their previous from the last race. Those two guys, um, they're doing this, this style of documentary better than anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there are like, truly one of a kind art documentaries uh, out there i know i've uh for a while that i couldn't shut up about uh in the, in the realm of perfection the uh, john mcenroe mm-hmm. documentary uh there was also the oscar nominated oscar nominated uh hale county this morning this evening that's a great uh art doc but um again some kind of having is, heaven is a very good very moving very funny very surprising um very very sad often uh documentary but i've still just i want the doc the the uh aspiring art doc auteurs out there to know i got my eye on you yeah <laughs> shape <right>? up. <laughs> not shape up but you know tread lightly Sure. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Uh, okay. Uh, and then, uh, and my second movie, and then we'll toss to you is, uh, oh man, again, we're back to, uh, Natalie showing me movies that she liked as a, as a kid. Okay. And we watched a movie that I hadn't even heard of, despite it having a really impressive cast. I hadn't even heard of this movie. And she said, before we started, she was like, I'm warning you, this is bad. This is going to be bad. Okay. And she was right, but in like, uh, uh, well, I'll just say what the movie is. 1987's Hello Again. Do you remember this movie at all? Is that with Shelley Long? Shelley Long. I don't remember anything about I don't think I saw it, but I, I think we, we've exhausted what I know about it. Okay, yes. So here's the thing. I feel like it's in like the BuzzFeed age, it's become very expected to like revisit for us a movie from like the writer or the speaker's childhood and be like, you guys, this movie is way weirder than you remember. Sure. Uh, that's not what I'm doing here. When I tell you hello again is a very odd movie. Okay. So Shelley Long plays a happily married, uh, wealthy sort of Westchester housewife. I say happily married, the movie kind of retcons that as it goes along seems like a content marriage to uh, a plastic surgeon played by Corbin Burns. Um, and then she has a uh, hippie sister who lives in the city uh, played by, now I'm forgetting her name, but it's the voice of Eleanor Sherman from the critic. You know what I'm talking about? Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so she plays like a new agey uh, weirdo type. And, uh, so everything seems to be going okay in Shelley Long's life. Her her son is getting ready to go off to to college. Her husband Cormor Burnson is um, uh, uh, up for a big new gig, like as like the chief of plastic surgery at some like whatever. Uh, it's actually the Knickerbocker ho- Hospital. I'm not sure if that's if they paid to have their logo all over the place. So this is like some very early uh, word of mouth uh, uh, buzz marketing for Showtime's The Nick. Or no, Cinemax is The Nick. That's right. There we so. go. Yes. Um, it's the one that you forgot existed. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yeah I, but I love that we're already getting off topic. I love yeah. that Steven Soderbergh put the nick yeah. on cinemax just like he like 
when he had that movie High Flying Bird, if he had said, I want to premiere this at Sundance, Sundance would have said, a new Steven Soderbergh film? Of course we'll premiere this at Sundance. Right. He said, you know what? I'm premiering High, Fly- High Flying Bird at Slamdance. Uh, and yeah. I, I like that he does that. <laughs> um, anyway, that's not the point. The, the, that's not what this movie is about. It's not about Steven Soderbergh's uh, uh, counterintuitive it's not, uh, release. It's not? <laughs> no. Aw. So, uh, I just lost interest. Everything seems to be going okay for Shelley Long until she uh, chokes on a piece of chicken and dies about 20 25 minutes into the movie okay and then it cuts to a year later when her sister the new agey weird hippie hippie type has figured out a spell to bring her back from the dead okay uh, i did not know this was what, yeah. what this so, was but at be this about. point you've had uh shelly long's character is very uh i mean st- standard female rom-com character but also kind of like archie from the archie comics she's a total klutz sure and there's a lot of uh uh, 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 you know, funny physical comedy that uh, Shelley Long's actually very good at. There's a great scene at a, a rich person's like backyard, like fish fry, where she accidentally sets this huge fish on fire. And then she and a uh, great character actor, Austin Pendleton have a little, yes. like uh, uh, a little bit of fun, like putting out a fire with like bought two liters of seven up. Um, <laughs> there's like fun little moments like this. Uh, God, I'm going to spend so long on this movie, but I just have to tell you, okay. Um, and then so then it's like a you know the 80s supernatural comedy you've got things like body swapping comedies you've got this is seems like it's along this line right except a year later her sister brings her back and then the movie weirdly decides to take the emotional stakes of that very seriously and like it becomes it becomes incredibly sad as Shelley Long's character has to confront the fact that her friends and her husband and her son have all moved on. Yeah. And like, they're like happy to see her, but also there's not like really a place for her in their lives anymore. <laughs> like, Oh, it's a super odd choice. What is this castaway? That's weird. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, but then the one doctor who, you know, the, obviously the medical community, medical community doesn't believe she really like died and came back from the, the one doctor that believes her is played by Gabriel Byrne. Um, and he's very, this is 1987. Gabriel Byrne is very hunky yeah. uh, and smoldering. smoldering. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> we just said the same way. Oh my well, We have the same crush on uh, <laughs> late yeah. 80s Gabriel Byrne, I guess. Yeah. Um, uh, and so you've got uh, you've got all that, and then Celia Ward shows up as because Cormoran Burton has remarried, and she's Celia Ward is the uh, the character we're clearly not supposed to like. She's Obviously. like the shallow trophy wife because he's got this big job now, and uh, he lives in the city in this like uh, uh, very modernist apartment or whatever. And um, anyway, so I think the, you and I have talked about before the idea that like good direction can rescue a bad screenplay. And I think the opposite thing kind of happened here. Okay. Whereas I, I actually think hello again is a really interesting movie on the page, but Frank Perry, the director seems to have no, I mean, like I, I don't claim that I, I'm not one of those, uh, uh, stereotypical critics who like, who is a frustrated failed filmmaker. Sure. I don't think I'd be that good at filmmaking. I could do this better than Frank Perry did. <laughs> okay. The choices that he made are just flabbergasted. Just like, uh, like uh, it's, he drains all the life out of every scene. You've got, you've got Shelley Long doing her level best, you know, and it becomes through no fault of her own. It becomes like flop sweaty because Frank Perry is just giving her nothing or doing nothing to help her. There's also 
the most bizarre <laughs> music choice. There's these like, I, I wish listeners could see this because this film is having a physical impact on yeah. you right now. I guess because of, like I said, the, the, the new agey mystical type of nature of the, of, of the story, the score is very like chimey and twinkly, but it's like that no matter what. So yeah. there's a big scene at the end that I don't want to, I, I say I don't want to spoil. It's not, no, I, no one should watch this movie, but right. it would be too much setup. but you've got Shelley Long doing an extended impression of like a good old boy type of like, it, it goes on for a long time. And Shelley Long again is doing, she is doing her best. Of course. She is, she, she, uh, she is absolutely uh, uh, committed to this bit, this very extended bit of her doing this, this impression. But the whole time the music is like, Trickle, 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 trickle. It doesn't make any sense. It's not comedy music, even when the scenes are overtly, broadly comedic. Yeah, it's the the movie is. Uh, it's a fascinating failure, but it is sure. a failure on so many levels. Well, you've intrigued me. I feel like I have to watch it. Now. It's on HBO Max. If you have that, it's it's All for right. free on HBO Max. Okay, I'll give it a look. All right. <laughs> um, so, uh, sadly, the only film that I watched uh, this week, <clears throat> because uh, it's we, we're adjusting our sleep schedules to uh, to fit more with the kids. So I woke up much earlier than I have. And I'm just, uh, boy, it's, it's rough. I don't really have it these days. I especially don't have a lot of time to watch movies. It's really, uh, unfortunate, but, um, but I watched, uh, Darius martyrs sound of metal, which have you seen it? I forget. Yes. I saw it at TIFF 2019. So okay. it's been oh, well over a year since I saw it. I loved it. Um, it really, I loved it for a number of reasons. Uh, I think it's very well written. I think it's, I think it is a really nice character piece. I don't think it ever compromises for the sake of sentimentality, um, or for artificial uplift. Um, I think it, it crafts this main character and then understands how he would react in certain situations. And one thing that I like is that there's a, there's a, a, a there's a choice that he makes, uh, more than halfway through the film. And the film does not, in my opinion, come down one way or another on it. Um, other characters have an opinion on it, but I don't think the movie judges him for this choice. Um, and so I think we're just very open to this character played by Riz Ahmed. Um, and then there really aren't that many other full fledged characters. I would say, uh, Olivia cook who plays his girlfriend. I think she's wonderful. Uh, she's absent for a, a big portion of it, which is understandable. And then uh, obviously, you know, the guy getting a lot of the press, uh, yeah. Paul Racy. I don't know if that's uh, how you say his last name. I, I don't know. Uh, yeah, he's, he's great. He's boy. Like this is my kind of supporting performance. This is like, it reminded me not just because he has a similar type of voice. It reminded me a lot of Robert Forster in like Jackie Brown. Like it's oh, just yeah. a, a straightforward, very decent guy who 
is old enough and has lost enough to just not really feel like bullshitting people anymore. Um, and as a performance, it's similar to Robert Forster. So much of the movie rests on him. And yet yeah. as an actor, he doesn't seem bothered by that at all. He seems no, to be completely relaxed. It's, and I think it's because he understands the nature of a supporting performance, which is like, I am here to do a very specific job, but in the end, this isn't about me. So like, yes, things rest on me, but in the end, I'm pointing myself and the audience towards the the lead. Um, but yeah, uh, and then obviously the sound design as it, as one would expect is, is mm -hmm. phenomenal. Um, uh, you know, you, it really puts you in, in the, in the position of this character. I had a giant emotional response to this movie. Um, it was only about 20 minutes in before I started bawling and Jen and I needed to pause it. Um, wow. it feels a little bit, you know, early on, it feels a little bit like a horror movie when you think about it, uh, just think about like something, something is being stripped away from you and you have no control over that. Right. Um, and your life is never going to be the same. And that's, that's a pretty big deal. And, you know, I'm sure granted, if anybody lost their hearing or lost their sight, their life is changed forever. But I do often think about like, good Lord, what would I, what would I do if I should, if I couldn't see anymore? Like, or, or here, I mean, obviously movies are sight and sound. It's the name of the organization, but, uh, so it definitely hit me on that it's level. The name of the outfit. As the, yeah, thank you. Uh, it hit me on that level, but it hit me on a very personal level as well. Um, it, uh, you know, you swap out like deafness for mental illness and like so much of those interactions between him and his girlfriend really really mirrors some stuff that jen and i have have been through over the last few years and i didn't run this by you ahead of time sorry i was gonna get really personal and no, very okay. open that's okay um, you don't have to run that by me so the way my the way my uh, therapist puts it a few years ago i was hospitalized for depression um so i i was i'm one of those people uh it was something i was not so much embarrassed about as it was like, I don't know how to, how to feel about this, but, uh, but yeah, I was, uh, I was sent to a, a mental facility and I, it was not my choice. Um, and so I just kind of wound up there and it was only for a few days, but it was a, a giant deal. And it was, uh, you know, it, it, my, my life and my marriage was like really had to change after that. Um, and, so this film hit me on, on that level. The fact that he goes to this hospital and is removed, you know, they, they take away your phone, they take away all kinds of things and you're just kind of there and you're talking, you're speaking in groups and you're all, but you're also, you have a lot of time to yourself to try to think like, what, what, how did I wind up here? And so the film, it just on so many notes, on so many levels, I feel like it hits all the right notes. It feels totally genuine. I don't know what it's, what this character is going through specifically, but I feel like anybody who has had these moments in their lives where just through without trying or because of no specific choice that they've made, they are now uh, forced to reassess who they are, where they are and where they're going. And 
So it, it hit me on that level as well. And, uh, and of course I had a big emotional reaction when the movie was over, uh, as well. And so it's one of those things that because it, I connected with it on this very specific level, I almost feel like, how can I even begin to put this in my top 10 somewhere of, of 2020? Because it's just, it's just so close to me, but I guess that's the thing is if it felt artificial, uh, then I probably, I probably would not have connected with it. It's because it feels so real from a character standpoint, from a, from a, uh, what do you call like an institutional standpoint? Um, it's because it feels so real and genuine and authentic that it connected with, with me on that level. So I guess in that way, it is a bit of a compliment, but, um, yeah, so I only saw one movie this year, but it was uh, this, this week, pardon me, but, uh, but it was a hell of a film and I really, uh, I really loved it. Good. Uh, question for you. Um, not about, uh, the personal stuff to just changing gears, but still talking about the movie. Uh, you know, we do a, a battleship pretension. We have, uh, our awards, the BPs every year, mm-hmm. and we have a category that you came up with, um, that yes, you invented. Um, <laughs> what's that from? It's that from something the kids in the hall. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I don't remember um, it, but okay. Uh, yeah, I'm not going to go and explain okay. it. Um, um, uh, this category of uh, best performance under 15 minutes of, of screen time. And someone, I don't know if you saw this, someone, I don't know if it was someone who tweeted at me or emailed us or something, wondering if Matthew Almerich, if his performance in Sound of Metal counted. I think it does. So I mean, it's, it's under 15 minutes. Okay. And uh, he's definitely on screen under 15 minutes. I also think that uh, I love the the performance of the doctor that first, like, breaks the news oh, yeah, to him. Yeah. I think that's a great performance. So you're very, uh, so when you vote for that category, you're very literal. It literally just has to be under 15 minutes. I feel like there's a certain spirit of the award that I feel like Matthew Almerich's character is too big a part of the third act for me to, can, to, to consider. He's in too many, even though they're small scenes, he's in too many scenes. Whereas to me, I only vote for like nominate people for that category. If it's just a scene or two and it feels like they've come in, put their stamp on the movie and then left. I definitely, I, I totally know what you mean. I feel like uh, a few years ago, I know that uh, Matt Damon for interstellar was nominated for that. And I think officially he probably was in it more than 15. I didn't nominate him, but I think he was in it no, more than 15 minutes, but it is very much. And even though it's, it's a, a big movie star who people didn't know was in it, but he, he, he plays a very specific character who comes along at a very specific time and he does what you're talking about. So I do, I totally get what you say, what you're saying when you say like, there's a spirit to it as well. And so, um, but you know what, even on that, even on that level, I think I would, I would, uh, okay. include Matthew Amalric. Matthew Amalric. Matthew Amalric. I think something like that. Sure. That sounds uh, good. All right. My final movie is I'm going to be such a hypocrite because I talk shit about the, the standard made for TV style talking head documentary. I've talked shit about like music biopics before, um, not being as worthwhile as just listening to that artist or band for that, uh, uh, for that same amount of time. And all of this is true about the bgs how can you mend a broken heart sure. but i would still recommend it uh and i wonder part of it is just that i i've i feel like people there are a lot of people who don't know how good the bgs were sure. like uh, um uh like i think there are people who think of them as the saturday night fever soundtrack 
and uh, which is still pretty good <laughs> which is although yeah. um the BG stuff on that soundtrack is pretty good and the and some of the other stuff uh sure. Natalie and I because we uh uh listen records and play cards every evening like because we both work from home and we're in different parts of the apartment so we spend all day in each other's company but not really talking so our our evening uh, activity is to come together put on a record play gin rummy and sort of chat about uh, our day and get ready to watch we're gonna watch that and we do it like pretty much every work day um and so we threw on the saturday night fever after having watched this then we threw on the saturday night fever uh, record the next day and uh it's there's a lot of music on that double album and it's not all great (laughs) a lot of it is very silly stuff but yeah the bg stuff is is great but also they had been around for 20 years before they Mm -hmm. but before before they did that and continued to make music after after that and um so I think a part of me wants to recommend it to people just because the story of the Bee Gees of these three brothers, and then eventually a fourth brother who uh, had hits of his own and sometimes played with the, with the Bee Gees. Um, the story of this family is a fascinating, and it's not just like, Hey, this band was really good. So let's make a documentary about them. Like they have mm-hmm. a, an interesting uh, uh, story. You get to see this, this familial bond. And also um there's just the fact that I think it makes a really good case. You know, I, I, the thing I always say is like, like I said five minutes ago, uh, most music documentaries are not more enriching than just listening to that musician for that same amount of time. And that's true here, but I think, how can you mend a mend a broken heart gets points for the fact that I think it will spur a lot of people to go listen to the BJ's for right. a couple hours outside of just staying alive and night yeah. fever. And you should a docu- be dancing a documentary about like Johnny cash or Aretha Franklin. Like people are listening to them already and people already take them seriously as artists. But I think because the BGs are so associated with the era of disco that I think, like you said, like, Yes, it probably is not any more uh, illuminating than listening to their stuff, but nobody's going to listen to their stuff because they think they already, just like with Saturday Night Fever itself, yeah. people think they already know what it, what they are. And so they're like, I, I get it. So yes, this yeah. might, it, it definitely, uh, I saw it when I saw a trailer for the documentary, it looked really interesting to me. Yeah, it's, it's really good. Um, it's, um, there's very interesting, you know, uh, behind the music type of stuff that they go through. You realize like you realize before, before Saturday Night Fever ever happened in the late sixties, the Bee Gees broke up. Um, and then they got back together and multiple people made the case. It's like, if if they weren't a band of brothers, like yeah. <laughs> Henry the fifth, if they weren't a band of, uh, of, of brothers, they would never have gotten back together, but they, they couldn't fully like leave each other's orbit because yeah. simply because they're related. The only thing I will say, and I understand why the, the movie's already almost two hours long and it's about the Bee Gees, not about solo careers, but I will say to people during that brief period, they were broken up. Robin Gibb released some solo music that is fucking great. That I would yeah. definitely recommend people. If you already do know the Bee Gees music, go a little deeper and listen to Robin Gibb's solo stuff from the late sixties. It's really good. 